Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Happy New Year and welcome back to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles. I think this is season two. I don't really understand if that even means anything really, given it's a podcast and the episodes just roll and roll and roll. But for anyone who's decided to skip season one and come straight to season two, Rock Pop Rambles is your weekly kind of music trivia fix, bit of comedy in there, bit of facts, a lot of incorrect stuff, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're back. We're back. This is episode 41, which is... Uh, which is epic for us because we never knew that we would keep this going. And I'm your host, before I ramble too much, Angela Martin from the band Bug Eye. And my co-host this week is Paula from the band Bug Eye. It's Paula Snow. She's back. She's back. She's back. So I have a quiz question. Um, we've recorded 40 episodes. Yeah. And if that constitutes a season, does that mean all of our seasons are going to be 40 episodes long? Or are we going to do it in calendar months and each year is a new ep- season, not episode, my bad? Well, I thought each each year would be would be a season. Kind of makes really. sense, really, just, I guess. Well, just because we took two weeks off mm-hmm. over, over Christmas. Unpaid leave, people, by the way. Unpaid. We do have a Patreon site. So, you know, if you do, if you do want to donate, it's really... Really happy, really happy. I would be really happy with that. That's patreon.com slash bug eye. Um, <laughs> nice radio intent just, there. Just, yeah, just, just slip that one in. I'm actually going to record some, some, um, ideas so we don't have to do all the painful housekeeping stuff. I'm lazy like that. Oh, it's ident, not indent. My bad. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's the new year. And if you didn't listen to our Christmas special, it had four band members from from a different band. No, our band, Full House, um, and we talked about yeah, Full House, and we talked about Christmas songs. And it was actually one of our most popular episodes ever. And uh, yeah, I was quite quite impressed with that. It's really nice because I really enjoyed making it. It was great, like for the four of us to be involved. Don't take me wrong; I love to do the pod with you. It's really good fun and the rest. But having all four of us there and. We hadn't been together for the longest time, so it's just really nice to see everyone before, well, before we hit the shite storm that is Tier 4 and now Tier 5. Lockdown 3. And, you know, like with all the sequels, it just gets worse, doesn't it, really? <laughs> so uh, so this this COVID franchise just needs to end now after, you know, no no more, no, no, uh, no, no, uh, no further COVID 4, COVID 5, please. We don't, it's we repetitive don't need any more lockdowns. Boring. Exactly. It's the same storyline, you know, we get locked in, we don't really do anything and then you let us out and then you tell us off for going out and then you lock us down. Ah, yeah, it's boring. Someone um, will make this into a film at some point, I'm sure. For sure, for sure. Anyway, should we get on with the show then? We should, we should indeed. Right, okay. So this week, given that this show is going out in a couple of days' time, on the 8th of January, we thought we would do another kind of day in music uh, thing focused on things that happened on the 8th of December, but but particularly... December or January? Looking, January. Oh, my God. There we go. Thank you. 
for correcting me. I'll leave that in because I can't be bothered to edit it out. Anyway, yes, yeah, so um, two people that were born, and a lot more people were obviously born on the 8th of January, but we're, we're focusing on two, two. And one of them is my most favourite artist of all time. And the 8th of January is, is a very special date for an, a number of reasons. Um, I'm going to talk about David Bowie's 25th studio album, um, Black Star. Paula, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to be talking about the legend that is Shirley Bassey, whose birthday is on the 8th of January. And I think Elvis Presley was also born on the 8th of January. I may have made that up. Really? I thought Phil Collins I was, think I, I made think that up. is actually later in January. I said Elvis Presley, not Phil Collins, but if you think the two are the same, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, I was just adding another celebrity birthday in there for the giggles, you know. I've got my finger on the pulse, Shirley Bassey, Phil Collins, I'm down with the kids, me. <laughs> I think I think Elvis. We're not talking about Elvis anyway, um, and we're also going to play some new music. Um, so a little bit more about that later. So um, should we should we jump straight in? Let's with the with the cheery subject of uh, David Bowie's last album. Go on then. That was Black Star. Black Star. Yeah. So uh, so before you think, oh my god, things are depressing enough. Why are you talking about that? Blah blah blah. Um, I'm actually focusing on the mysteries around the the album, the artwork, and the hidden messages and and stuff like like that. Ooh. So um, hopefully you'll find this a bit a bit fun. But a um, bit of background. So obviously David Bowie was born on the eighth of January, and as I said Black Star um, was the twenty fifth studio album that he made, and it also came out on the eighth of January, which coincided, obviously, as I said, his birthday. So he would he was sixty nine. Um, mm-hmm. the the day that the album came out. The album was largely recorded in secret, as was the album previous to that. And it was recorded kind of between two studios, so Magic Shop and Human Worldwide Studios, both of which were in New York. It was recorded with longtime co-producer Tony Visconti and a group of local jazz musicians that David Bowie had discovered in a club in New York. Um, really loved the sound and the vibe, and wanted to take that onto the album. And, and one of the interesting points to note with this was he was adamant that this wasn't going to be like a rock and roll album. He wanted mm-hmm. this to be something a bit a bit different. Sadly, two days after the release of the album, David Bowie died of liver cancer, which was a surprise to, to, to everyone, really. Um, his illness had been kept secret from, from the public. Um, he'd been diagnosed with liver cancer back in 2014 and it was hoped that the cancer was in remission but in November 2015 it was confirmed that it had spread and it was basically terminal. So in the middle of filming the video for Lazarus which is a song from the album and also the title of his his musical um, the decision was made to stop cancer treatment so I can only just imagine um having to be creative and and still work on this stuff, how that must have Mm -hmm. felt. Um, Anyway, his last public appearance was on the 7th of December 2015, the opening night of his musical Lazarus. Um, But this isn't a time to be sad, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, um, cancer and and dark things like that. I'm going to focus on the album. Um, yep. which was his his kind of masterpiece and last sort of gift to us all. And, you know, and what a masterpiece it was, probably one of the finest things he's ever done. Um, 
And apparently, he actually wrote a five-year plan for what would happen to his music after he died. Really? Um, and Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you understand the detail mm-hmm. that went into this album, if every little bit of it is is related to something from his past or a message about something. It's it's incredible. I mean, I discovered quite a lot from a various from various different articles, from even fans posting stuff on Twitter, to Vice magazine, um to oh my god, I'll put I'll put a list of all of the, the places where I got this stuff. Uh but yeah, I did quite a bit of research and also did a lot of um watching of his music videos mm-hmm. and referring to the album Black Star and trying to find my own little little clues. And I thought I'd found something something that no one else had found. And then when I Googled to double check, I was like, shit, someone else discovered that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you had a moment. Um, I did. I was like, oh my God, I've discovered that no one something that no one else knows. But anyway, rather than just like kind of vaguely talk about it, I'll get into the detail. So Black Star, the secrets behind the artwork and the music. Jonathan Barnbrook, he's the the guy who designed um, the the sleeve um, and had worked with David Bowie previously on on artwork for for albums. Um, He said that the vinyl sleeve and artwork for Bowie's final album is packed with more hidden surprises Mm -hmm. um, and some fans um, have already found um, some of these clues and uh, are exposing them, which brings me on to the first one. So a fan found that exposing the artwork to sunlight unveiled a galaxy of stars. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually going to make a video to demonstrate some of these things because I haven't I've done the whole list, but I haven't actually tried many of these myself. So wait, did he like actually bleach the cover in the sun or just put it? In sunlight, and something happens like no, in in sunlight. Kind of so yeah, so exposing art to sunlight. So obviously, looking at some sort of reflection, mm. um, it unveiled a galaxy of stars. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about the design itself. So Black Star is simple, but yet packed with meaning. There is nothing on this album that is that doesn't have that isn't you know symbolic of something. I'm sure. Um, so the title, for example, Black Star, the name itself, is a name for a cancer lesion. Okay. Um, although it's one kind of associated with breast cancer, but it still has like a sort of cancer meaning. Maybe that is a coincidence, but it's also the name of a hidden planet that the kind of apocalyptic fans out there um, tend to sort of believe that this is the planet that will crash into earth and destroy the world and we all know that david bowie was kind of obsessed with space and planets and 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 all of all of that jazz um so that's probably quite apt it's also the term for the transitional state between a collapsed star and a singularity um in physics which makes sense if bowie's sort of placing himself as the collapsed star and the singularity of the state being sort of what he enters after his death, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. The design, the black star symbol, rather than writing black star, is a sort of finality, a darkness, a simplicity, which is also representative in the music. Mm -hmm. Although, to be honest, the music, it's simple but very clever, and I'll get into a bit more of that in a bit. 
Um, but I'm going to show you something. So, sorry, listeners, you'll have to Google this. Um, I'm, I've got the vinyl version of the album here, and I'm just showing Paula. So yep. you can see. Yeah, you can see it. Sorry mm -hmm. to hit my mic. I can. Um, so, yeah, you can see that basically there's the star is cut out mm -hmm. on on this, um, and it's, it's you can actually see the vinyl record through it. And apparently... Um, this kind of represents being able to see the vinyl, vinyl being something that was made and born, it has creativity, but it is man-made, um, and it will get scratched and it will get damaged, it will get worn over time and it will degrade. So it's really quite symbolic in the sense of our own mor mor mortality, if mm -hmm. that makes mm -hmm. any kind of sense, yeah. So it's just um, a product of our own making, all of that kind of stuff. Um, who would have who would have got that from from something just being cut out of a record? I but, mean, yeah. My first thought was that must have been bloody expensive to manufacture. Oh God, this whole thing is just like no expense spared. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Um, the shapes underneath. So if you see the sort of it's clearer in the um, white version um, of it, yeah. which is a CD. But you can see you can see the kind of shapes underneath the star. Yeah, it's yeah. like a kind of broken star, um, like bits of the star, if if you like. Um, and it's not actually just broken bits of star. It's actually a cipher alphabet spelling Bowie. Wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? I would never have guessed that. Yeah, but fans also think because um, the name Black Star and the fact that it's the death of a star and what happens when a star dies, it explodes, it makes sense that it's like, parts of a star kind um, of so like David Bowie has fragmented and is often in the universe um becoming evolving into into something otherworldly I suppose um other things that fans have discovered include if you expose the vinyl release to sunlight as I said it's the image of the galaxy but Twitter user um I'll spell it it's at r-o-b-b-o-r-o BSON21, Sir Robertson21, shared a picture of the cover exposed under a UV black light, which appears to show the album cover design glowing in a fluorescent blue. This bit in the middle, this kind of glows. Oh, like a sort of now blue. I understand. <laughs> right, okay. So, yeah, so daylight, there's one kind of image, it's the galaxy. Um, with black light, it's it's kind of like a sort of um, blue, fluorescent blue star that you see. And you can Google that. There's pictures of mm -hmm. that online. It looks beautiful. So, I mean, I don't have a UV light, um, surprise, surprise, but uh, had one, I'd test that. Um, the LP also casts a reflection, revealing an image when angled onto the wall or ceiling, reflecting, so you kind of reflect the light off one side of the vinyl at a certain angle and it creates the image of a star. Wow. So that's like using the actual record to do it. I'm not sure how on earth they achieved that. Um, I've seen pictures of it on online. Um, so it's something, again, I'd like to kind of um, try and recreate. <laughs> but spin reader Robert Matthews told the magazine um, with another claim that if you reflect the light off one side, you get um, a bird in flight. And on side two... 
you get a spaceship. Really? So this people would like, yeah, really, really. How many hours are they dedicating to this? I know. Well, it's it's the same as like the kind of Sergeant Pepper Pepper one, mm-hmm. where it's like, are there hidden messages in that relating to to you know Paul is dead and all, all of that? The conspiracy. Did the Beatles make that up? Or is it just completely like a PR stunt and not really set up like that? But this album totally is. You know, he he said to the designer, like they worked on this together and even the designer said there's loads of there's loads of stuff to be mm-hmm. found in this, hidden messages. So that's that's what set everyone off. And it was um such a great campaign, but also a great kind of thing to leave fans with. Um even the font um used on the back of the album is is a font called terminal which appears in a design suite called Lazarus um so the name of the black star track and the musical that Bowie composed and also terminal referring to the Mm -hmm. fact that he's got terminal cancer so just like little things like that inside the gatefold of the album which I shall show you now Paula Snow right you you can see you can see look there's David Bowie on one side and there's a picture of um it's kind of well, it's stars. Yeah, it's stars. And basically, if you hold it, sorry, let me get my notes so I get this right. Um, so basically, it shows a star field on one side and the portrait of Bowie on the other. And if you kind of hold it at the right angle, Bowie's actually reflected on the opposite side, looking like this ghostly starman figure in in the galaxy. Wow. So that's quite that's quite cool. I I actually did do that one myself, and I thought, I'm, again, I'm not sure if that is a coincidence, but seeing that so much was planned, mm-hmm. I don't know that anything's a coincidence on this album. But um, Black Star, and I didn't know it, well, I didn't know a lot of this, but Black Star is the only album of David Bowie's where David Bowie doesn't actually feature on the cover himself. Really? Um, yeah, which is why it's thought that the kind of star fragments were meant to represent him mm-hmm. in death. Um, so, yeah, which I thought was quite quite cool. Another reader, Michael Hogan noticed a strange pattern when he shined a light on the record um, as it's rotated. Um, Black Star seems to have dashed lines that appear on the wall. It could be some sort of code that you decipher and he tried it with different <laughs> different records and you don't get any you don't get that at all with other vinyls so it's clearly something that's been put there um that's not so i mean i'm not a code breaker that's not something i'm ever gonna really look at but i thought it's quite interesting spin reader john clarkson went looking for the constellations in the starfield image inside black star so the starfield that i just showed you yep. opposite the the David Bowie thing, and he found that with the more prominent stars, you can actually make the outline of a person. Um, since you know Bowie has a history as Starman, it makes sense he wrote that, and you know that there's there's a man in the stars. Um, also, there's another portrait in the inner sleeve, the booklet. Which first of all, I thought, oh, that's a load of bollocks, and then I kept reading more and then looked at other stuff and I thought oh yeah I see that right so I'm just going to show you this picture yep see him mm-hmm. yep little orange box mm-hmm. around a kind of blackened out picture side profile of the man himself right so this this portrait is next to the I can't give everything away lyrics um 
and might be a reference to the cover of his 1977 masterpiece, Low. Um, in both images, Bowie is shown in profile looking to the viewer's right, which I read that and I thought, oh, fuck off. You know? <laughs> so he's got another profile shot. I'm, wow, that's a sign. But, 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 um, they're both wearing dark coats with sort of high collars and both images feature similar kind of colour palettes. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think you're reaching, but you could kind of say, yeah, yeah, I get I get that. But, um, so by the way, that's um, Low is from 1977. Um, so do, do check out that album. The other thing I thought, oh, that actually ties it nicely together and makes sense is that, um, and as several critics have noted, I Can't Give Everything Away has a harmonica part that is basically a direct rip from the low instrumental, A New Career in a New Town. Um, so it's likely that the sort of visual similarities are also intentional because mm-hmm. it does make sense when you listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it is. But then also quite dark as in, you know, this is the end of his life on earth. It's a new career in a new town, um, mm-hmm. in a new dimension. I don't know. Maybe that is a stretch too far. But it is it is something that's in there all the same. And another reader, and this is, this is number 10, yeah. and I thought this was really cool, and I have to check this one out for sure. Another reader said, I've been studying the odd design on the page where the lyrics for Girl Loves Me appear. The design appears to be an instruction. All right, I'm going to show you this. And it's, it's kind of, oh, where is it? People will know what what I mean when they see it. There's kind of like a sort of um, almost like an astronomical thing. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, Paula, from showing black on black to you. Uh, Can you see? Kind. I'm kind yeah, of it's getting kind myself of, reflected. Kind of, there's 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 a man and a woman. There's like some signs, and it's it's all looks a bit random. Um, but yeah, if you've got the album, go and go and look at the page of the lyrics. Girl loves me, and you'll you'll see it on there. So, right, what does this person have to say about it? You have to get a torch, darken the room, and place a torch to the design with the design very close to the wall. You will need to slightly curve the design as per the instructions because apparently that's exactly what that image tells you to do. And actually, if you look at it, it does look like it's instructions. You need to slightly curve the design, as said per the instructions, and what you'll get is a mesmerising 3D image of the man and woman who appear to be standing on a star, planet, or in, in heaven. Really? Um, I totally am going to try this tonight. Um, and, and he goes on to say, I discovered that the whole pull-out booklet is littered with amazing multicoloured um, 3D images. Really? So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so when you apply a torch and get close enough to them, um, there's loads of them throughout throughout that. So I shall be, as I said, I'm going to need Julia's help, but all of these I'm going to try and recreate or see if I can recreate them um, to see which are true and which aren't. I mean, I might obviously do them wrong. But um, some other facts and legends mm-hmm. about the songs. Black Star was originally over 11 minutes long. Jesus. After learning that iTunes would not post it as a single because you know a single can't be over 10 minutes in length it had to be edited down to 9 minutes 57 seconds making it Bowie's second longest track behind station to station 
Wow, did not know that. I know that song doesn't feel like it's that long, though. It kind of it's this sort of dark mm-hmm. roller coaster ride with highs and lows, and 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 it's certainly maybe because the video was just so so well done, and and kind of there's there's lots of references in there. So, for example, and this was the one I thought I discovered. Right, yeah. I thought, ooh, right. So, you know, there's there's kind of creepy dancing of like people shaking mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. in in the video right it's 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 really unnerving so yeah the dancing in it um is a creepier version of the signature dance from David Bowie's music video um for the song fashion that he put out in 1980 cool there's they're doing this kind of shuddery dance mm-hmm. in it with the hands um and I thought, oh my god it's a reference to that because there's lots of references in the mm-hmm. album actually to past stuff as well. It's almost like if if you saw your life flash before your eyes in a really kind of dark, twisted, jumbled up bit of the universe, that's what this album is, yeah. really. Um, yeah, so there's also a bit in the video that reminds me of Labyrinth. There's kind of like a town um, which... I don't think anyone else has made that reference. I think they've made some other references to somewhere in in in, in the world, but it reminded me of um, of the scene in Labyrinth where there's the kind of town and you can see the castle fortress in the distance, but you know, but it's kind of like a darker version of that. But again, I might be reading too much into that. But Black Star, he sings Villa of Ormen, right in the Villa of Ormen. Amen is Norwegian for serpent, and it's not the only thing that seems to carry some kind of biblical or otherworldly reference. There's obviously a candle in there. There's, you know, the whole thing seems like there's some sort of ritual going going on. Um, but it could also signify the fact that there's like a candle. It could also signify the fact that there's a light that's fading, and that there's only a solitary candle as he awaits his day of execution and it's, it's kind of, you know, the wax is dripping and time's running out. So he's kind of losing his battle with cancer. Um, and he also sings about um, being eventually replaced, um, that someone else will just basically take his place. He talks about being born the wrong way round and I'm the big eye. It's almost like going through the whole thing of, you know, who will be the next David Bowie? And, and that's that's mm-hmm. just like the kind of cycle of stardom, isn't it? That there's always the next the next big thing. And he seems to kind of be almost at peace with that. And there's a sense of kind of accepting his fate. I mean, obviously, you know, some of the references in the video, there's obviously an astronaut um, that's that's lying there dead, you know, Starman, Major Tom, mm-hmm. um, you know, People have been analysing this video to find other clues. I think there's probably lots of references to to different songs there. But on the final, final note about this, um, the last track on the album, um, there's there's a kind of a, a ripping guitar solo referencing Ro- Roger Phipps, uh, Fripps, sorry, Ghostly Heroes guitar lick. So from the song Heroes. So it's kind of like, the perfect end to an incredible piece of art, really, um, that you can, you know, it's like a kind of sad version. It's almost, I don't know, reminds me of when um, 
the Beatles, they found that, that Beatles song, Free as a Bird, and someone mm-hmm. made the video and there's loads of references, but everything's kind of all jumbled up and it all feels a little bit sad but beautiful all at the same time. And that's I suppose that's what it reminds me of, but this is so much more elaborate. Um, but, yeah, so 8th of, 8th of January, I was about to say December again, the day that David Bowie released this epic album and it became his first and only album to reach number one on the Billboard, even 200 album charts in in the US. Um, At the 59th Annual Grammy Awards, the album won awards for Best Alternative Music Album, Best Engineered Album, Best Recording Package um, and the title single won Best Rock Performance and Best Rock Song. Um, The album was also awarded the Best British Album of the Year in the 2017 Brit Awards. So, yeah, fantastic, well-deserving of awards album. Um, An incredible piece of work that, you know, will stand the test of time. I mean, there's so many different musical influences in it from, from like, gosh, drum and bass, jazz. There's even a bit of, like, house there. It's it's really, really quite, quite incredible. So, yeah, so that was David Bowie's Black Star. That was great. Thanks for sharing that. Well, the things when I was researching it, I had loads of side notes in, you know, talk about the musical, because mm-hmm. obviously David Bowie um, decades ago tried to, wanted to create a musical, um, but, but that didn't happen. And he always thought that it, he should have done a musical and then he finally did do a musical. And there's just so many things you could talk about with with David Bowie we talked about um Ziggy Stardust um quite a a few episodes ago um and again it's just like you know only just scratched the surface with it the guy was an absolute genius absolute genius and had so many like different sort of sides to his character and characters within himself that you could you could do an episode about each one should we move over to some new music? I think we should. I think let's, let's lighten the mood. New music. So today I've got from you a band called Jen and this is their track Feel.
Okay, so that was Jen and Phil. Jen are from Brighton, and that is out on the 26th of January, which is later this month. Um, what did you think about that one? I really liked it. I really liked it. We played um, Jen on the show back when we had Cassie from Loud Women on there because Jen are playing the Loud Women Fest um, later this this year in September and that was another cracking track they're just they're just brilliant they're absolutely fantastic so so talented I haven't seen them live yet but I've been hearing some good things so you know maybe maybe when live shows are back up and running we can uh we can you know, go and have a jolly at one of their shows. Just what I was about to say, definitely when all this passes, they're one of the, I mean, there's there's now so many bands I do definitely want to check out live, but I would love to see them. I think they'd be absolutely great. Yep. No, definitely, definitely. Big fans of theirs, always happy to play a track from, from Jen. So, Paula, who are you talking about? Shirley Bassey? Yeah, so I'm talking about Shirley Bassey, who was born on this day in 1937. Uh, she's a Welsh singer whose career is kind of credited as beginning around 1953. Well known for expressive voice, huge vocal range, lots of like kind of power and gutsy um, songs came out of her. She initially started her career working as a picker in a factory. And singing was something that she just kind of did on the side to earn a little bit of extra cash. But she gave that up after becoming pregnant for the first time. During this time, however, she'd been noted and stuck in the memory of a booking agent named Michael Sullivan, who took her under his wing. And I think he took her off down to London to record some tracks as well. I'm not sure how old she was at that time and if that was seen as a little bit iffy or not, but he definitely did. Well, a lot a lot of stars started out young and were mm-hmm. often just kind of taken off. Um, you know, it was it was their sort of opportunity. And uh, which reminds me, I just recently watched the documentary about R. Kelly. Shocking stuff. Really? But anyway, let's let's that. watch it. It's it's really really disturbing um yeah watch it watch it and then we can have a chat but um sorry carry on (laughs) let's go back to Shirley uh she's well known for recording bum themes but she had an amazing career before these were even dreamed of she'd knocked out nine top 10 hits and in January 1959 released As I Love You which reached number one staying there for four weeks and it was the first number one single ever by a Welsh artist really Gosh, there's lots of reallys in this. She's she's absolutely incredible. And actually, when I was younger, um, I think obviously through the Bond theme theme tunes, I didn't know she was Welsh. I always presumed when you know, obviously I know now and have known for some time. Yeah. But I actually presumed that she was she was American. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I don't know why I made that assumption. I just did. Same. <laughs> anyway, should we have a chat about these Bond themes then? Go on then. So she recorded the soundtrack theme songs to the James Bond films Goldfinger in 1964. Goldfinger. Yeah, that's the one. Diamonds Are Forever in 1971. I'm waiting for rendition. I know, I know. I was thinking, oh God, how does that one go? <laughs> I knew the silence was just like, yeah. And um, here, here we go with the Oh no, is it, is it Diamonds Are Forever? I'm just making it up now. It is kind of like that. Moonraker in 1979. Now I don't, I can't for the life of me think how that one goes. I I had a little listen to it and it's not one that immediately jumps to mind, but we'll come to that in a bit later. So Goldfinger, it was a theme song for the third Bond movie released in 1965. The song was written by John Barry. And this is a guy whose name comes up a lot if you look into any kind of Bond themes. He's like the kind of go-to writer. Yeah. And Anthony Newley. 
and then Shirley Bassey recorded the vocals over the top. This is really surprising for me. It was the first original Bond song to ever be released at the same time as the movie, so I'm assuming they must have come out after. Well, possibly. I mean, I or I should prior. remember this because because I did a whole kind of module about like kind of soundtracks and the history of it, and I think. Um, I mean, what year did did it come out? Uh, sixty five. Sixty five. Okay. Yeah, I think th- I think it was before the kind of big boom that you know. Mm. There's there's a title track that's that's meant to be a single. I think it was like you kind of had these things that accompanied a film. Um, mm but it wasn't necessarily deemed that that would be a single and used as promotion pre the film. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's generally what would have happened, is it, as now it would have been pre before the film, because actually now I'm thinking about that. When we come to Moonraker, we'll have a chat about that as well. Okay. Uh, so the song debuted at number 29 and climbed to number two, where it stayed for nine weeks. Shirley Bassey, on her very own website, says about Goldfinger, John Barry wrote the music. We were touring England at the time and he was conducting for me. One day he said, there's a new song for the James Bond film and we'd like you to do it. Now, I know you're all a, that you will never listen to a song unless there's words. There are no words. I must warn you, there's only the music which I've done and we're waiting on the lyrics. And because we had such a wonderful relationship on our tour, I said to John, well, look, I'll listen to it. I'll break my rule. And thank God I did. Because the moment he played the music to me, I got goose pimples and I told him, I don't care what the words are, I'll do it. And fortunately, the words were great. And I just think that's so lovely, like... Yeah. to speak about their relationship in that way like he was kind of conducting the band on her tour and she just had enough respect for him that she was like yep play it to me and thought it was brilliant and a deep trust as well I mean like Shirley was obviously a fan on first listen however not everyone agreed according to an article in the London Times Barry had been up working onto the track in on the track rather late into the night and the next morning over breakfast he played the opening three notes his flatmate at the time who was no other than Michael Caine what Yep, that's right. You heard right. Michael Caine. The actor just turned around bluntly and said it's Moon River, which is something that I've always found it quite, had a bit of a sort of similarity to. Now, I never, ever picked up on that, but now that you mention it, but then that that could be the power of suggestion, right? Maybe, maybe. But on that comment, Barry swiftly added the three-note brass lane to disguise any similarity between it. Oh, well done. That's probably why I don't hear it. (laughs) He'd got away with it on that occasion, but apparently the Bond producer, Harry Saltzman, hated it and took a lot of convincing to get it for it to be allowed to be used in the film. He called it, either depending on your source, the worst song I've ever heard in my life or the worst effing song I've ever heard in my (laughs) effing life. But basically, there was no time to change it and he just had to live with it. Oh, I love I love stories like that. How wrong people can can be. Well, I mean, you know, he probably still you know hates it, but you know, it's uh, yeah. How wrong? How wrong? How wrong? Yeah. So Shirley Bassey <laughs> recorded the theme song to the rhythm of the opening credits as they played on a screen in front of her, so she could get the vocals to match the movie exactly. On the final high note, the credits keep rolling, and Bassey has to sustain the note until she almost passed out. Uh, the, the single release gave Bassie her only Billboard Hot 100 Top 40 hit. And people have said it doesn't get more quintessentially Bond than the op- opening orchestral swell and the scream of the brass on Goldfinger. And, it kind of just sets the tone, doesn't it? And I yeah. think, you know, it's a precedent that people sort of, you know, have to do that sort of try to aim for that sort of big sound. And mm. yeah. 
drama, drama. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's all about with James Bond, isn't it? And I think, in particular, in this in this um, track, she kind of really delivers on that. Well, it's with all all of the the you know when you know there's going to be a new Bond film, mm-hmm. we all think who is going to do the, the opening track to that film, and mm-hmm. it's it's going to be epic, like Adele's song, and just yeah. Uh, Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney, you know, that was that was a great one as well. But uh but yeah, um but Shirley Bassey, what a legend. What a legend. And we'll see more from her. So Diamonds Are Forever is the soundtrack again by John Barry for the seventh James Bond film of the same name. This time the lyrics were written by Don Black and was the second Bond theme to be formed by Shirley Bassey. The movie was released on December the seventeenth, nineteen seventy one. But the soundtrack was released just over one month later on January the 23rd, 1972, which I think is something that is a little bit odd. So obviously, like the first time round, that was it wasn't just a coincidence. It was quite a big thing. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever entered number 38 in the UK chart and eventually peaked at number 57 in the Billboard Top 100. Interestingly, while I was researching this, I found out that there's a track by Kanye West called Diamonds from, sorry, Diamonds from Sierra Leone that directly samples Diamonds Are Forever. The song, however, takes a slightly different angle uh, to Diamonds Are Forever, connecting the material wealth West had become accustomed to following his rise to fame and the horrors of civil war in the country Sierra Leone, financed like hugely by the sort of illegal diamond trade. Um, Back to the original, however. It's been described as being in the top 10 of Bond themes, and one site cited is a hard decision between this and Bassey's other classic, Goldfinger, as which be, should be the higher place on our list. Diamonds Are Forever is the gold standard against which the other Bond themes have since been judged. Really? And I think, yeah, and I think, again, like, when you listen to it, it is that big sort of, like, rousing, you know, there's going to be a big action-packed adventure yeah. thing coming in. But that's the same with all of all of the mm. Bonds. They've got to have that sort of dramatic kind of tension-building in in the songs um ah but you know you're coming to that later in this oh well i shall pipe down and uh (laughs) sit back in in my smoking jacket i don't have a smoking jacket i don't smoke but um yeah i'll in other words i'll just sit and chill you carry on so here we are here we are now moonraker which is the third bond theme that shirley bassey um recorded also again written by john barry but this one was a turning point in his output output abandoning the ketonesque brass which apparently means forward-thinking brass swell, to oversimplify like a sort of musicology term, of his earlier Bond scores, and instead scoring the film with slow, rich passages. Originally, Frank Sinatra was considered for the vocals and agreed to do them, but he abruptly pulled out the project. Nobody really knows why, although there's reports about infighting, which of course there always are. Uh, Johnny Mathis was also approached and offered the opportunity, but he wasn't happy with the song and didn't really kind of feel that it sort of set his um, sort of set his vocal pi- vocal pitch in the right kind of way for a record. Uh, Kate Bush was also initially considered for the vocal, however, she was about to go out on tour and she declined. And trust me, I've kind of scoured the internet looking for dirt on this, so I hope maybe someone can find it and let me know. Dirt on what though? Why Kate Bush didn't do it? Yeah, I mean, I was really hoping there was some kind of like sort of huge argument between her and Barry or something like that. Which seems like she was going out on tour. You just, you just love the gossip. You just like the 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 gossip columns, don't you? Sort of bit of gossip. Absolutely, and there was none to be had. I think, I think Kate Bush would have done an awesome James Bond theme. So she still might. She still might. There's still she time. Still might. 
and this was at the kind of heights of her sort of withering heights part of her career okay so anyway it it fell to the hard hitter of the bond themes and if frankly if anyone could pull it out the bag it's going to be shirley bassey eight years since she had sung on the vocals of her last bond track she stepped up to cover her third and that has yet to be equal by anyone so she's the only person that's ever sung three bond tracks however after being drafted in at super short notice, she never really took to this theme as she did to the previous two, which became staples of her live show. She has said a number of times since that she only did this song as a favour to Barry. And without any time to promote the signal and given the last minute decision and the way it was quickly recorded to meet the schedule, it's unsurprising that the song failed to make any kind of real impact on the track on the charts. In fact, it's only one of two Bond themes not to have charted. So that's Shirley Bassey's Bond themes, but she is a prolific performer and is more than some of those. Uh, Since she signed her first professional contract at the age of 16, she's released 70 albums. 70? 70. 70 albums? And has sold 140 million records, though that drops to 80 million records, depending on your source, I have to say. But still, phenomenal amount. That's crazy. And that doesn't even take into consideration the number of streams she'd be getting and... God, amazing! Oh, just, just, just out of curiosity, what was the other Bond song that didn't chart? It was "The Man with the Golden Gun" by Lulu. Oh, okay. Which I was surprised at. Yeah, uh, she's worth. She has a reported net worth of ten million dollars, and she's still knocking music out. She's become one of the most prestigious singers of her time, and her work has inspired and influenced many, and will continue to do so for generations to come. So, big up to Shirley Bassey, and happy birthday! Happy birthday. Sorry, I should be saying Dame Shirley, shouldn't I? Yes, it is, isn't it? It's Dame Shirley Bassey. Yeah, so just just a a little bit of housekeeping, I think, before we get on to that. Just thank you for everyone that listened in 2020. Please keep listening in 2021. Do subscribe. Do give us a rating. Do give us a review if you've got time. All of that stuff helps. Um, Share it. Shout about it. It helps us move further up the listings and more people discover us, so do that. And if you've got a story or a song that you want us to play or talk about, then do drop us a line at rockpoprambles at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Bug Eye Band or Facebook as Bug Eye Music. And all the show notes will obviously be in the show notes. Um, but I'll also <laughs> share images because none, nothing I spoke about is going to make sense. So I'm going to share some images, but I'm also going to attempt to to do... It won't, it won't be out in time for this episode, but I think I might actually do a video to try and recreate um, some of the stuff from the, the David Bowie album and see how successful... I, I am. When I say recreate stuff from the David Bowie album, I'm not going to be playing it. I'm talking about the the hidden message stuff. That would be amazing. <laughs> do a video of me. The whole of it. Yeah, of me doing a ukulele version of Black Star. That'd be quite fun, actually. But um, I'm not doing that. Anyway, so we do have. Um, what was going to say? Oh, also, big shout out to Rick, who sent me a link. Didn't know that I was doing um, David Bowie, but I posted a picture about getting David Bowie-themed Monopoly for Christmas. And Rick posted a link um, in response to that about the mysteries behind um, Black Star. So it had some some of the research was from that three of the um, the, the kind of uh, things that I talked about from the album were from his list. So thank you very much, Rick. That was very helpful. Uh, yeah, so I will finally, finally get on to... Um, 
the the song that I'm going to play, my new music, and it was submitted by Play It Loud UK. So big shout out to them, uh, UK promoters, headed up by Melly. Hey Mel. Yay Melly. Okay, so the track I'm going to play is by a band called The Ringards, and the song is called Helen Miram, and it's uh, I really really like this this track. I thought it was quite sort of dark and a little bit menacing. It had a really cool rock sort of garage rock groove to it slightly psychedelic bit of a 70s feel to it um but the yeah totally refreshing to hear so i hope you like them too and i'm, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more from them this year so the ringards uh formed in 2018 in london they all now live in a flat together which i thought was quite nice but they're originally from all sorts of places around the the globe but they're currently uh, residing in good old hackney in, in East London. So they create kind of avant-garde singles loaded with grit um, and a bit of rock and roll grime within that. Um, so, yeah, I'd say they're for fans of The Doors, definitely a bit of The Doors edge to them. David Bowie, so I thought this was a very apt one to, to play. Fat White Family, Libertines, The Kinks, you, you, you get the sense of it, but I'll let you have a listen and you judge for yourself. So thanks again for listening. Over and out, this is Helen Mirren. Yeah.